I took part of the doctors Said I'm no prescription For compromise solution And I'm calling from the bottom of my hotel Don't let it ring again It moves I You're on a limb again Calling from the bottom of my hotel it ring again It moves I Don't let him in again In again Ten years Caught in a trap by my own Cunning Thought I was smart Thought I was dying Don't you dare. My brother is the meanest handicap that God has ever created. I wonder how you think. How do you express a visual concept, not in words, sir? Maybe you think symbolically. What does your mind call something Next, we 
just really got a gun. Watch out, here comes the NWD. Pop, pop, boom, boom. NWD in town. NWD when the ladies getting down. Don't fuck in the NWD. Don't share that NWD. Don't turn your back on NWD. NWD got knowledge. Fuck a BA. NWD kicking your BA. I mean your black ass. Yeah, hell yeah. Nigga, yeah, hell yeah. Nigga, yeah, hell yeah. Nigga, yeah, hell yeah. Nigga, yeah, hell yeah. I'm a man of few words. And I'd like to say to all those who never believed in the power of the handicap, there's a new sheriff in town. And this is his bag. Welcome to Weekly Review on Mutiny Radio. This is Roman. I'll be hosting the show today, as I have been for quite a while now. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio here in the Mission District in San Francisco. We're on Ohlone land. It is Friday, November 23rd, 2018. Thanks so much for listening in. We were not here last week due to the the, the air quality, and most of the Bay Area was, was pretty unhealthy for, for most folks. A lot of people had to wear masks, sometimes even indoors, and I really wanted to be here. I had a lot to say and a lot of information to share, and also it was not the best of, <laughs> not the best time to come in, and I also thought doing a radio program with a mask over my face uh, it might not sound too great, so I decided to, to opt out last week. So I'm glad to be here this week. We have lots of news to share, and as well as a large audio content from an event that happened last Friday that we were initially going to talk about last week. Um, However, we do have some recording of it, so really grateful to be able to share that with all the listeners out there today, wherever you may be listening in. And again, you can get this wherever you have internet access, so that's a pretty good thing to have outreach like that. So there was an event last Friday called Who's Behind ICE, the tech companies fueling deportations. Now, a lot of this, the evil stuff that happens in our world, if folks didn't participate, they would cease to happen. So what can folks do? I think it's also just a matter of getting the information out and knowing that many folks are opposed to this. So what can be done for the folks who are working for these corporations that partake in it. What can they do? What can we all do to apply pressure on them to stop? There's a lot of information. I'm going to be learning a lot. Uh, As as per usual, there's a lot to learn, and we don't necessarily always hear the truth of what's happening 
if we hear anything that's happening at all, we hear a very skewed version of it. Oh, goodness gracious. So yeah, there's a lot to get to. Never quite get to everything. However, I'll provide what I can over the next two hours, and we'll be playing some music in between, which is a, a nice palate cleanser, as it were. And initially, uh, I was playing some music before the show, and I uh, was planning to start a different song, and then the timing worked out, and the first one of the first lyrics of the, the song that just happened to come on was about it, how it was raining. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll keep this one on. And then following that, we're continuing to play the album that we started two weeks ago uh, by JKLM in Validations Volume 2, and that's Juba Kalamka and Leroy Moore. And you can find that at jubakalamka.bandcamp.com, and we'll be playing some more music from that album throughout the show. So, yay. Support local artists, please. Great. Okay. I usually start the show with a rant. I don't know. There's a lot to be upset about. <laughs> uh, where to where to put one's anger. I usually try to punch up. It's like the folks in positions of power that make life difficult for the rest of us. That's the most frustrating. So, I mean, there's always... there's a, When I stay off Facebook, my mental health is a lot better. However, I do find out news that way sometimes from folks who post and different events that are happening. So it's, it's a difficult thing to balance. And recently folks had posted some articles <laughs> about some corporate Democrats who make me so fucking angry. Uh, ugh, just how corporate Democrats are not wanting to support Medicare for all, which a lot of us knew. And also a previous candidate for president who will remain nameless who decided that uh, it's bad for Europe to accept refugees. Yeah, that's that's great. So there are these folks who are, they say they're part of the resistance, yet they end up causing harm to people. And it's, it's fucking disgusting. And meanwhile, there are folks who might shame others for not supporting many of these Democrats, even though they are causing a lot of harm. I could go into that. I, I'm... I don't want to throw things out the window. That's my constant threat. I don't know if I could throw th- anything out the window here. I, I, it's it's a matter of what do I do with my rage and my frustration and knowing that this has been going on for such a long time. And people in positions of power lie. And it gets really frustrating when folks who provide alternatives uh, don't get listened to or we get shamed because we won't support corporate Democrats. That's it. All right. I'll probably get more into that. Maybe I'll read some articles a little bit later. I don't want to get so angry, but there's a lot to be angry about. So I also want to just recognize that if you're listening and you're angry about something, that's super valid. And if we all had a, a place to express our emotions and our energy uh, with this world, which is incredibly unjust, the systems that are in place that have been in place since before any of us were born are incredibly unjust. There is no level playing field. And if many more of us were taught that (laughs) growing up if that was accepted then i think we would be doing a lot better but instead it's uh, it's it's excruciating and knowing that things could be better and many people are fighting for a better more just world where everyone has shelter everyone has health care everyone has food people have access to education it shouldn't be that difficult you could put funds to infrastructure instead of to war. It's it's not that hard. It's possible. Yet people in positions of power don't want to do that. And people who are greedy don't want to do that. So what can we do? And a lot of folks have been already doing a lot of organizing and a lot of work. And that's part of the reason I do the show is to amplify those voices, to share the voices that folks might not, myself included, might not hear. Because if corporate media has corporate interests, then... 
they're not going to hear from the people who are working to make this world and the earth more protected and safe. <sighs> it's important to to have some moments of silence and I recognize that it's a radio program so the medium is not necessarily equipped for moments of silence however there's it's important to have those also recognizing the horrible it's still considered a holiday what was yesterday which is fucking gross it's fucking gross I mean super gross it's not a very eloquent view of it but that's what it is oh got more to oh i'm just thinking of another story i want to share if you live in the bay area though there are positive things that you can do and there's a segorate land trust and i want to encourage folks go to the website and that's segorate-landtrust.com and that's s-o-g-o-r-e-a-t-e-landtrust.com and if you live in the bay area you can give money back to the folks who were on this land originally. And a couple weeks ago, Karina Gould, who's affiliated with this um, organization, called in and provided a lot of great information about the Shumi land tax. And you can go to the website and it has much more information. And it's pretty much, if you live in Oakland, Berkeley, Albany, El Cerrito, Richmond, San Pablo, San Leandro, Alameda, Piedmont, Hayward, Union City, Fremont, Pleasanton, Pinole, Livermore, Moraga, Orinda, El Sobrante, Danville, Walnut Creek, Martinez, Pleasant Hill, Benicia, or Vallejo, which is a lot of people. <laughs> There's a lot of people. If you live in any of these places, you live in uh, traditional Cotenio and Karkin Ohlone land. And when I read from the website, this land has a deep history and a community of people who have lived here for thousands of years. For those of us who are not indigenous to this land, the Shumi land tax is a way to acknowledge this history and the Ohlone community. And they have much more information here. And the land tax uh, directly supports the Segorate Land Trust's work to acquire and preserve land, establish a cemetery to reenter stolen Ohlone ancestral remains and build a community center and roundhouse so current and future generations of indigenous people can thrive in the Bay Area. And they have a lot more information on the website and you can calculate your annual Shumi land tax, whether you rent or you own property. It depends on how many bedrooms you have. They also have a suggested donation if you would like to donate regardless of where you live. And I would suggest for folks wherever you are, if you're listening in the the U.S., I don't believe in borders. I think it's gross. For all intents and purposes, if we're talking about this, the, what, ugh, ugh, it's, just, it's to even have to use the, the language of, ugh, the, the idea that there's nations that are, okay. I do want to communicate, though. If you live in the, what we know as the United States, gross. I, I just have to, it just, it's so, just knowing the history is just so, there are some positive things that f- folks can do. And this is one of them. So if you go again to this website and perhaps there are other places around the country, you can also see what can be done to give back to the, to the, the folks who are in the land that we're on. I recognize that doesn't sound as eloquent or maybe precise as I would like. Um, I, I do want to just put this forward. It's super important at the very least to start thinking about this and, and taking action beyond thinking about it. Cause I think a lot of us might have good intentions, but if we don't act on it, then what are those intentions worth? All right. So that was, that was, that was one thing I wanted to, to share with folks. And there was another story that came to mind, which I just super frustrating 
and um so we know that land has been continued it's has been continued to be seized from indigenous folks and that was no different yesterday <sighs> and there's the um Wampanoag uh tribe and yesterday, 45 in the administration are arguing that the tribe is not Indian enough to keep its reservation status. And there are a lot of articles online. There's one on Huffington Post written by Rebecca Nagel. And it's just how this fucking continues. The land grabs continue and how disgusting it is. So wanting to put that out there, that news out there, I encourage folks to read up on it. There's... Oh, It's, it's fucking disgusting. So, yes, I want to encourage folks to, to read up on that. We happen to live in a, this country, there's settler colonialism, folks coming in, taking land, and killing people. And that's, that's the land we're on. And for folks to think that somehow after 2016 is when things started getting difficult is to not have paid any attention to history or what happened on this land before. <sighs> wow. What a downer. <sighs> that's, that's how the show often is. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's a little bit more uplifting. And at the same time, uh, we can't pretend what's, what's happening isn't happening. And again, I'd rather talk about it and feel depressed uh, then not talk about it at all and pretend everything's okay. There's plenty of distractions out there. There's plenty of entertainment out there, and that's not what the show's about, I suppose. <laughs> so that's, that's I guess, one, one thing that we're here doing. So, oh, goodness gracious. I do want to get into the um, just some information about the campfire, which was like one of the biggest fires in California history. It happened in Butte County in the town of Paradise. And um, thankfully now, at least it's as of nine hours ago, it's 95% contained, probably more so now because we've had some rain. And an article on the BBC uh, from nine hours ago stated at least 83 people have died and more than 500 people remain missing. Uh, 10,000 homes were burned down by the fire. And there's also thousands of people now who are without steady homes and this was the case before the fire too that many folks are without homes so this is climate disaster and there's been a lot of folks who have been passing out masks and doing mutual aid there's a taquero who went up there to, to give out food and that's what seems to be constantly the case when there are events like this. It's people coming together, people offering mutual aid, people organizing. It's not so much coming from the top down at all. Because also if things came from the top down, we wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. In San Francisco, many, many folks were passing out masks. There's a mask Oakland in Oakland, just through donations and people volunteering their time or passing out masks. In San Francisco, the DSA were passing out masks. Many of us were passing out masks. And 
uh, City Hall wasn't. So that's that thing, too, where if all this money is getting funneled up to City Hall, why aren't they looking out for the residents? A lot of us kind of know the answer to that. But it's, again, really reinforcing that idea that it's if you want to make change, it's up to the people to make change. We can't rely on elected officials to do that because very, very few will even acknowledge what's happening. So sending lots of gratitude to all the folks out there who are sharing information and putting their, putting their bodies out there if they're able to and getting folks the help they need. So I'm very grateful for that. And just a reminder that that's, that, that's what continues to happen. Oh, there's a, there's a lot to get to. I feel a little bit overwhelmed. I do. And we'll, we'll get to what we can. And I'll start playing the audio in a little bit while I get my thoughts together. It's a little over an hour, so I'll probably take a little bit of a music break in between then. Also, recently, <laughs> there was a, a supposed missionary who went to... <sighs> he went somewhere he wasn't supposed to go. To a, a tribe that didn't want any contact. There were signs up saying, please don't contact us. Many warnings. He went anyway. And he was shot and killed with it with an arrow, a bow and arrow. And again, it's like this is more and more information has come out about him that he wasn't even necessarily a missionary. He was this. Some some folks say he was trying to convert. Fo- I think it's disgusting to go try to go somewhere and convert anyone. Uh, it's, it's, it's it's so fucking disgusting. It's disgusting. That's my word that I often use. And then there are also some news articles about how the the supposed church he was linked to there yeah there's a lot of information out there and i don't i'm trying to pull it up at the moment having a little bit of difficulty with that and all i could think of with this person who's kind of intruding on this land you know and there's a lot of reason it's like if I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm preaching to the choir at this point, but it's it's like, why would someone even do that in the first place? And then people are getting it. Some folks are getting it on the on the. Some folks are getting angry about it, and I'm like, well, th- what what do you expect? What do you expect was going to happen? And also, on a perhaps humorous note, from from my perspective, anyway, maybe other people as well. I don't know. There's Homestar Runner, which was this uh, web cartoon. I think it's still. Uh, I haven't watched it in a long time. And there was different cartoons within the cartoon within the cartoon. And there was one. Uh, called Teen Girl Squad, which I'm sure is problematic if we go back and listen to it. Like many things are. We're all, we're human. We're all problematic in our own way. And <laughs> there is one part. I'll see if I can uh, play it here. And that's all I could think about when uh, I I heard about this supposed missionary being killed by a tribe that did not want to be contact. Arrowed! That's it. That's all I could think about. That's the the humorous section of this podcast. Maybe there'll be some humorous things along the way. Uh, It's just... So, there's that. Talk a bit about the Proud Boys, which are now... uh, Now the FBI has finally decided, oh yeah, they're an extremist group after they've harmed people and some of the folks who affiliated with them have decided to step down. However, there's still plenty of other organizations out there that are causing harm. And uh, it'd be great if folks could take them seriously as well. And uh, instead of it, it's a, a lot of times it's like the independent journalists who are really uncovering who these these people are. And again, it's kind of up to us. Oh, goodness gracious.
Oh. Well, just now we see there's a, a tweet just up, well, it's two hours ago, from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who says, Nine Dems are choosing to hold the entire 220-plus caucus hostage if we don't accept their GOP-friendly rules that will hamstring healthcare efforts from the get-go. People sent us here to get things done, not negotiate with an administration that jails children and guts people's healthcare. Yeah, I agree with that. So it's somewhat refreshing and bizarre to have an elected official. And again, I don't have necessarily a lot of faith overall in elected officials. However, when they do decide to speak the truth, I think that's really refreshing and we could use more of that. So I think that's great. Okay. I'll get to one more story and then we'll get to some audio. I know it's a lot. It's the, it's a lot. This is stuff that's going on in my head. It's hard to find the words for it a lot. Cause I have a lot of feelings about it. It's not just what's happening. It's, uh, at times I feel hopeless and helpless a lot. I know, even though I know a lot of folks are doing things, it's also just to recognize that all these things are happening at once and what can be done. And ideally, you know, we all want to live, leave the earth better than we found it. And that's really, that can be really difficult because given the certain circumstances, it can be really difficult to, to be kind and generous. I, overall, we, we all try to be. However, under capitalism, it's really fucking difficult when everyone's just struggling to stay afloat and to take care of loved ones. Then we got the, the earth is having a lot of difficulties. Wages haven't been raised at all. Rent is still exceedingly high. Many folks are in debt. Got murderous law enforcement out there. Still people believing in the, these fake, this idea of borders, which aren't even real. Oh, there's also in the, the care. There's also the caravan. So hopefully we'll have some more information. I'll look up some more information about that and ways folks can assist if possible. So there's just a lot that's happening at once, and it feels overwhelming. And also, I do want to, as a reminder to myself and to listeners out there, again, thank you for listening. This is a lot. I it's a lot <sighs> that there are a lot of folks out there doing a lot of awesome work so and even just existing in this world that makes it really difficult to is is beautiful and remarkable so there's also a lot of good things happening right now i don't want to forget that at all so currently thousands of american excuse me that's not american okay that was that was a freudian slip if only maybe this will be true someday thousands of amazon workers in europe stage black friday strike so it's from fast company it's written by kale guthrie weissman It's a two-minute read, they say. Thank you. Just in time for the online retailer's Black Friday bonanza, Amazon warehouse employees across Europe went on strike or are staging protests today. According to the UNI Global Union, workers are demanding better working conditions and wages and protesting Amazon's refusal to negotiate with them. We are not robots, the strikers are proclaiming. The affected fulfillment centers are in Germany, Italy, Spain, and the United Kingdom. You and I tells the author uh, that more than 2,400 workers in Spain and Germany are on strike currently with hundreds more in the other areas. In the UK, the British trade union GMB says five different warehouses are holding protests. The group says it expects hundreds of employees to take part. The conditions our members at Amazon are working under are frankly inhuman, said GMB Secretary General Tim Roach in a statement. They are breaking bones, being knocked unconscious, and being taken away in ambulances. Workers in Spain, Italy, and Germany have all planned strikes. 
Amazon has not made worker safety a top priority, said Fiorenzo Molinari, a secretary at a local Italian trade union. In a provided statement, to us, it seems like the company only pretends to care. Our warnings about unsafe conditions often go ignored, and our concerns about our jobs get deflected. And they have a, oh, they have a video here. Let's see if we can play this video. Get the audio here for folks. And again, you can find this um, at fastcompany.com. Amazon, we are not robots. Amazon, we are in the robots. Amazon, we are not robots. Amazon, we are not robots. Amazon, we are not robots. The global fight to get Amazon to treat its workers with respect is growing. We're seeing this, we're feeling this. Amazon, we are not robots. We're going to fight and we're going to win. Okay, and then they have a little graphic there with an Amazon box with an unhappy face uh, on it. Oh, I, Jeff Bezos, oh, there's a guillotine waiting for you out there, my friend. He's not my friend. Okay, moving along. In a statement, Amazon pushed back at the state union complaints. We, uh, they, they're fucking lying. I'm not even going to read Amazon statements because they're fucking lying. The statement added, we provide... Okay, that's also not true. I'm not even going to read it. I'm not going to read their fucking PR nonsense when we know people have died on the job, both in the U.S. and abroad. And the working conditions are really horrible for a lot of the workers. And also the fact that the, the person at the top owns so much wealth. And also, as we will hear later, are uh, collaborating with ICE. So, fuck Amazon. Okay, this isn't the first time European Amazon workers have gone on strike. On Prime Day last July, employees in Spain stopped working en masse. Workers in other facilities around Europe decided to join the strike, too. And last year, facilities in Germany and Italy went on strike during Black Friday, too. Okay. So, again, you can find this article on Fast Company. And I may have posted it. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, uh, we're casual here. Super casual. <laughs> if you check out our Facebook page, which I know Facebook's evil too, we're still on it for the time being. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. Post and share a lot of news articles there that one might not see. Depending. I don't know if you're friends with me. You'll, I'm sure you'll see them. Then maybe, maybe not. Anyway, encourage folks to, to share accurate news, especially from about workers' rights. Great. So, I think it's time for a music break. I've talked a lot more than I was intending to. I hope I... <sighs> yeah, I, I don't know what I hope, but we talked. I'm going to play some more music from Invalidations Volume 2, and then we're going to play some audio from the event from last Friday, and that will provide a lot of information. Super much looking forward to it, so stay tuned.
my black sisters, but do they love me? Telling the truth, sometimes I feel lonely. Scratch the light on this side. You won't blame me, so can't look me in my eyes. Never want you to get into hyper-masculinity. Through sins and valid, I could show my sexuality off the stage. The spotlight dims. I have no car, so I have no rims. Three wheel bike, can't put a date in my basket. Performing with sexy poems, but I hear crickets. Disabled men in a pickle, viewed as can't provide, young and even with wrinkles, middle-aged with rage, midlife crisis, not even on the page, cause there were no good old days, just so much only go outside in the rain So raindrops will mask my tears I see a lot of older disabled men out here Can't even look at each other And anyone else I'm in fear 50 and single Disabled men, put down your knuckles, open our hearts to our people, show what we need, band-aid that heart, and tell her, let's be a couple.
Well, let me just see the neck and feel these little glands of yours. They're quite large too, aren't they? Yes. And let's open your mouth and let's just have a look at those teeth. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, you come and spend a few days with us and we'll get all that fixed up for you. All right? Good. Well, you can go in there and see Mummy now. Okay, bye-bye.
nothing the same. Football power, football sun, football power, football sun. Again, that was JKLM with Invalidations Volume 2. And you can find that at Jalam, excuse me, jubabkalamka.bandcamp.com. Please do purchase this album. Really great. Again, jubakalamka.bandcamp.com. Coming up next, we have audio from Who's Behind Ice? The tech companies fueling deportations. A big thank you to Eileen Torres for recording this. And so here's some audio. And we'll be playing this. You can also find it. Um, we've posted it. Uh, if you go to the Facebook page in today's post about the show, there's a link to the event. And if you just click on the event, you can find the video for this, as well as a link to the music we, we're hearing as well. So, yep. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back in a bit after this. during the mock election that we had, because we had that little lesson for them. And as soon as the next day came in, the kids came in, some of them were released sad. And these were like second graders. 
um, and I have a child of my own around the same age, and it was really hard for me to comfort them. So that was, that was the day that I said that I was going to stand up for my, for my community, myself, and my child, and I start organizing against this, what's currently going on. And I thank you guys for coming here and listening to us. Well, buenas noches a todos. Mi nombre es Cynthia Rodriguez. Um, I'm coming from Tucson, Arizona, and I've been organizing for over 10 years now. I'm currently the organizer for the Centro Jornaleros in Tucson, a day labor center. Um, and the majority of the work that I've been doing for the past years, we have been directly ending the collaboration between police, sheriffs, um, ICE, and CBP, Customs Border Patrol uh, Protection. Um, stopping deportations, getting people out of detention, um, you name it, like all of those things that happen in, in immigrant communities. Uh, we live in Tucson, which is um, 60 miles north of the physical wall border um, in Ogales, Arizona. So we have a high uh, presence of border control. Um, I believe over 3,000 officers, agents in that sector only. So we we are enforced not only with police and sheriffs, but also we have border patrol patrolling our streets. So we are targeted, racial profile is something that we see on every single day. Um, so yeah, I'm here like to build connections and rally you all up to take action. <laughs> all right, um, good evening everyone. My name is Stephanie Parker and I'm a volunteer with the Tech Workers Coalition. I see many of my fellow coalition volunteers here. Um, what our organization does is we try our best to build collective worker power through building relationships in order to steer the tech industry towards uh, the direction of positive change. Uh, me personally, I grew up in Los Angeles, uh, attended Stanford University for college, I see some other cars in the audience, and at Stanford, uh, the first day that you join and come on campus, they tell you that you are all the future leaders of the world. You are going to change the world, you're going to make it better, and you're gonna start your own companies, you're gonna start your own nonprofits, and you're gonna be a head of state somewhere. Like You are the, the future leaders of the world, and everyone in the room eats it all up. You know? So uh, throughout college, the messages that I heard that were that yes, you know, we're all here to change the world in our own way. Uh, and you either choose uh, going the nonprofit or government route, or you choose to start your own startup, social entrepreneurship, design thinking, blockchain, you know, all this. Okay, maybe that wasn't around back then, but um, there, was, there was something missing there. Uh, and I didn't really realize it until I joined the Google, where there's still that same idealism, perhaps because it's the same people <laughs> that I saw in Stanford, that everyone wants to make a, a positive change um, and make a new app that will help people in Africa to get water or get internet or something. Uh, but when I started to meet my coworkers and started to talk to the cafeteria workers and talk to the security guards, and talk to uh, people at Google who have a, a red colored badge, our temp spenders and contractors, I started to see that something is off. Something's wrong here, and a lot of my coworkers are, are not really talking about it. 
people are working beside us making minimum wage or worse. They have to commute to the Google campus, um, taking like coming from a place that's two hours away. Uh, and a lot of the, the people that are sitting next to me doing my same job are people who have no access to healthcare benefits, to career development. They don't get the resources they need to actually do the work or to actually be safe and taken care of in this you know, <coughs> land of perks and free avocados and gym and all, all these perks that you hear about. You start to realize, um, or at least I did, that there's, there's something off here, there's something wrong. All this money is not going to the right place. And I, I didn't really know what to do about it or how to even analyze the problem until uh, about a year and a half ago when I joined the, the Tech Workers Coalition um, because that group helped me to realize um, you know, where the true power in the world is being wielded, why the structures and the systems are the way they are. You look at government and elections and they're bought by the companies. You look at um, you look at universities, Stanford. Stanford is owned by the billionaires. You look at these companies who, as they grow bigger and bigger, start to have uh, more relationships with ICE, with CBP, with the Department of Defense. Like, why? Because there's, further, there's power concentrated further at the top and no accountability. But where do those at the top of these companies get that power? They get it from the employees. They get it from the workers. When we work hard, that profit goes straight up to the people who are making these decisions and making these contracts without any of us employees knowing. But when we start to know, when we start to realize, we start to talk to each other and build those relationships, we realize the power we have is as workers, that we don't have to work on that contract. We don't have to build that technology, that facial recognition software that Amazon is selling to ICE. If the employees decide they're not going to build it, it's not going to get built. That's where the true power is that um, Tech Workers Coalition talks about and tries to build uh, over the past couple of years. So I've been involved in various efforts at Google, my company, um, and also co-hosted co an action outside of Salesforce back in the summer to encourage them to drop their contract with CDP. And I know there's been some exciting developments in that fight, but it's been so inspiring to, um, to hear the stories here and build the relationships within the companies and with um, community groups. Thank y'all. Give them a round of applause. Um, you know, when we put out the, the Who's Behind Ice report this summer, or this summer, feels like a while ago, but it was not that long ago, a couple weeks ago, um, we really wanted to focus on a couple of key companies because of their role in kind of building up this infrastructure. And so one company that is probably not a surprise to all of y'all, but is also pretty much unknown to the rest of America is Palantir. Um, and really understanding that part of the reason that we started to, to understand what Palantir was doing <coughs> is because Leti and I used to organize together in, in New Orleans when I used to live there. And we started to focus against the sheriff no longer collaborating or working with um, ICE inside of the jail, right? Sanctuary cities, y'all have a sanctuary state, y'all upped it one. Um, but we started to be like, okay, great, we, we, we fought for three years 
had many very tense meetings that turned into not as tense meetings that turned into very celebratory meetings um, and got him to do this. But then ICE was going around in the street and literally just going to supermarkets, going to Bible study groups, going to laundromats, and picking up anyone who looked, in our case it was nothing next, but basically anyone who, who they suspected of being an immigrant, handcuffing them and fingerprinting them with these mobile biometric devices that they had in the back of their cars. So that's when we were like, wait a minute, who built that machine and what databases is it being connected to? Because no longer was it the simple example of if you have contact with, with any type of, of local law enforcement, then that means you go to jail, and that means you're going to be deported. They actually started to realize that they have all of these different databases. And more and more, then ICE was no, couldn't do that anymore, because of course we created some trouble around that. So then they started to go to people's doors. We're like, how are they getting people's addresses? And so that's how we came about Palantir, because really this is the way that from different sources of information, they can know, oh, this is the same, this Leti and this Leti are the same Leti, and these are the three addresses we have, but this is the last most active one, so that's where we're gonna go and do our enforcement operations. So like, well, okay, now we know where the information is coming from, and literally it means it's coming from everywhere, because now we have different technologies that can read your license plate, that can actually uh, you know, track your phone, that are able to get your information from like your latest cable bill, put it all in one place, but then where are they storing it? So that kind of brought us to the second um, company, which is Amazon, and really understanding how Amazon has, and Amazon Web Services, has figured out this, this niche or this kind of uh, way of being able to really line their pockets with billions of dollars by providing cloud services to government agencies, right? It's a big cash cow because, you know, government's not going anywhere. They're gonna keep producing records. They're gonna continue to need information. And so for a long time, they had already kind of known that Department of Defense had a lot of great contracts, but now DHS, with its pretty new agencies, right? ICE has only been around for 15 years. Um, they've basically been investing more and more money to be able to raise their own, their own profits. And then the third company that we've been focusing on, or, or a couple of companies, have been the companies that are helping Border Patrol expand its operations. And that's why Salesforce, with its contact that basically facilitates hires of new Border Patrol agents um, across the country, is just so devastating. So whether it's the ICE agents on the ground with Palantir, whether it's the Border Patrol agents across the, the country, or Amazon storing information for both of them to be able to cause destruction, these are kind of just three companies that we've really sort of started to expose their, their connections to the enforcement apparatus. Um, but so we wanted to have Leti tell, talk to us a little bit about her experience with Palantir in New Orleans, because Palantir, yeah, operated in that city pretty secretly and had really horrible consequences for for community. Ah, oh, sí. <coughs> Fue una experiencia buena al mismo tiempo porque descubrimos la picardía que estaban haciendo. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, this experience was a positive one because we were able to show the type of treacherous behavior kind of things that they were doing. We were seeing more and more that people, when they would like drop their children off at the bus stop for school or things like that, immediately ICE agents were stopping them and then not asking to fingerprint them. Or they would also set up locations if people were exiting the workplace. Y 
fue una carrera bien larga, fueron tres años y medio <laughs> al final peleando con, con el sheriff. It was a very long fight that we had fighting against our sheriff during a half year. Y el punto es que no nos dimos convencidos, porque tuvimos muchos no. But we never gave up because they gave us a lot of no's. Y quizás muchos pensaban de que estábamos locos, que era algo que era imposible para nosotros lograrlo. And many people thought that it was impossible for us to accomplish this, and said that we were crazy. Una organización prácticamente llena de puras personas indocumentadas. That an organization full of undocumented people. Porque yo soy indocumentada. Because I am undocumented. Pero esa es la manera, es la fuerza que tengo para seguir adelante. But that's the strength that I have to continue moving forward. Porque creo mucho de que nosotros podemos lograr los cambios y mostrar que somos personas de fortaleza <coughs> independientemente de, de nuestro de donde vengamos because I really believe that we can do this because we are people that have a lot of strength and a lot of fortitude to be able to accomplish these things sabemos que la tecnología ha estado ha jugado en contra de nosotros but we know that in many cases technology has worked against us pero al mismo tiempo esa misma tecnología hemos podido también utilizar para averiguar y saber cosas por el cual ahora estamos luchando con propiedad porque tenemos la información para poder decir está pasando esto y no es correcto. And now we're at a new stage of the fight where we're actually able to fight and say we know that this is happening it's not right we have to stop this. Sí, el Jerry fue una persona muy prepotente, muy tuvimos que seguir a la suegra, a la esposa, a todo el mundo. Because the sheriff to change his position, he was being very arrogant, so we had to literally go against his wife, his mother-in-law, everyone. A su iglesia, a todas las personas que podían estar a su alrededor. He went to his church, everyone who was around him. Y para nosotros esa victoria fue algo que nos, como nos abrió los ojos y decir, hay más cosas que podemos hacer y no podemos detenerlo. But that victory kind of made, like opened up our eyes and made us realize that we can't stop it. Y mucho de eso logramos que familias ya no siguieran en ese tiempo ¿va? siendo separadas porque pudimos exponer la situación que estaba pasando que por hecho hasta el jefe de migración que estaba ahí terminó siendo despedido porque estaban haciendo atrocidades violando los derechos humanos de las personas and so we were able to get that, that sheriff to stop and we were actually even able to stop the separation of many families and get the ICE director at that time fired and taken out of, of the city. Pero lo que quisiera decirles que si nosotros no tenemos constancia, determinación y ponerle el tiempo que se necesita, no vamos a poder demostrar y no lograr nada. But that just seems to me that if we don't have determination and consistency and continue to step forward, we won't be able to accomplish anything. Por eso tenemos que crear esas coaliciones, porque al final del día los problemas podemos decir que son únicos, pero no. En todos los lugares al final son, son los mismos, de maneras distintas, pero al final son, es lo mismo. But that's why it's really important to build coalitions and to move forward together, because sometimes we observativos. We have to be observed. We have to observe. Que pensemos eh, <coughs> qué puede estar afectando al otro, que al final del día me va a llegar a afectar a mí. And we have to think about how these things are affecting other people because at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's going to affect us all. Because many times, the people say, 
yo no soy indocumentada, no me afecta. O yo tengo esto y no me afecta, pero sí. Because sometimes people think, well, I'm not undocumented, it doesn't affect me, or I'm not going to be deported, it's not going to affect me, but at the end of the day, it does affect all of us. Recordemos que vivimos en una sociedad, en una comunidad, que todos como seres humanos somos valiosos. Y si nos valoramos nosotros mismos, vamos a tener una comunidad mejor. Y preocupémonos y cuidemos nosotros. And so that's why we have to live in a community together and understand that if we take care of each other and protect each other together, then we'll be able to. Um, and to just, you know, provide some context on some of the organizing that Leslie is describing, it's, you know, for many years in New Orleans, folks were organizing to get the sheriff to no longer work with Immigration and Customs Enforcement, and then yet after that happened, we're seeing more and more ICE raids on the streets. But they also uncovered that Palantir was secretly operating in New Orleans. But also, providing that information to the New Orleans Police Department, which is not exactly, um, yeah, exactly. No words, no words to describe, particularly in those moments, as this effort to fight against quote-unquote gangs. And so part of, I think, the, the connections that Lithia is pointing to is this idea that, yes, sometimes they use technology and surveillance on one particular community, but they equally can use it on any other community because those definitions of who is quote-unquote dangerous or who has to be surveilled and criminalized and incarcerated and in some cases deported, in some cases just locked out for tens and tens of years, is the same technology. And we don't have actual ways of being able to track it, and so this is what is creating some of the, the issues. But at the end, exposing that contract actually got them to end it. And now the fight is really about whether or not, like the, the issue is that can actually be discussed about predictive policing and some of these surveillance technologies about how it's happening. So it was both a, an awful thing that happened, but then it kind of gave that visibility that led people to organize that around some of that. Um, and so we wanted to, to provide some context also of like what is happening at the border um, and some of these agencies. Uh, Salesforce contract is to simply help hire more border patrol agents, but people have to ask themselves, well, what are border patrol agents doing? Um, and cities like Laredo have definitely given us uh, plenty of reasons to be fearful of, of these, these agents, not only for folks that are undocumented, but anyone, particularly women, who are living in, in these communities. So, yeah. um, so, so I actually lead an organization, so this was after like, you know, our governor in Texas passed the SB4 law um, that gives the police the right to racial profile and, you know, give that information to Border Patrol or ICE. Um, but even before, even although that has passed, like Alberta community has seen that happen for years. But now it made it more of an okay, can we can do this legally. So we decided to organize around that. So our group is mainly composed of undocumented and dreamers, non-dreamers, -dream, non allies, um, who are organizing and organizing around this educating our community. So through that, we hear stories. We hear a lot of stories of of, ha of there being more of a Border Patrol presence there. And the things that the Border Patrol do that are really unethical um, and the way that they treat our communities. One um, specifically is just going in there, knocking on the doors, arresting a person that's asleep. The person is sleeping, um, they grab the wallet, they will go with that stuff person, then they grab them, the person's obviously. And then that's right in front of, of our children, of our family members. 
um, that, that leaves our, our kids, you know, traumatized and that separation of families as well. We always, right now we're listening to the news of separation of families, but it's also happening with our people that have been living here for more than 10, 15 years, that have families and have roots here now. And then also just um, border patrols walking in, opening, walking into the homes of our community members and just you know looking and searching, searching throughout the night for for somebody that has recently crossed. <coughs> oh, like one community member said, oh, we just turned on the lights and they were there. We just heard a lot of rat rattling and flashlights, and we turned on the lights. There's about five border patrols in our home, and these were this was a single mother with five kids, all under age. And so now with more recently the words of the president, president Trump saying, even with Rob, you know, with him, him um, saying that it's okay to have more military presence in our border and, and saying that it's okay to use force with a simple like rock throw, which makes it okay for that border patrol officer that killed Claudia um, Patricia Gomez Gonzalez in Guatemala, in Guatemala who had crossed. Um, he shot her. We don't know specific details or what happened, but really there hasn't been any any follow-up with that case. We haven't heard anything, and even then, the city council, we have one of our city council members that's representing that, that border patrol. Um, and now, in Laredo, has been three recent border patrols that have these violence against women. Um, and the most recent case has been that of the murder. The border patrol also has murdered three women. And so we're seeing that Salesforce is, you know, providing, helping, you know, with more border patrols in our communities that really help don't have any, accountability. And so now with what President Trump has said, that, oh, with simple rock throw, we will act on that. It makes it okay for the actions of those previous border patrols that have, that have done what they have done. And so now as my, parents, my family members, my friends that are undocumented, my father who is, you know, who's dark, a little dark, darker than I am, he doesn't drive like this luxurious car, he has his tools in his vehicle, he can be profiled and say, well, he must be undocumented because he's carrying a ladder on his, on his vehicle or, or he has like a long, long, you know, uh, what's that? Non Mars on his trunk, and so it's just the fear of you know not not seeing my father again, not not seeing uh, my friends again, um, being separated from my own child once Saka is completely done with. No more renewals for me. Um, I am an educator. I do. You know, being a doctor recipient, you feel that you have a little bit more privilege than the rest, right? Because now you have a voice and you are, you do have protection. And so, even, although I'm, a, I'm an educator and I work more than 40, 40 hours a week, because being a teacher is totally consuming, being a mother as well, right? Um, but also, I just couldn't just not listen to my children, not do anything about my parents' situation at the border or my friends' situations who are dreamers, and they couldn't, they didn't meet eligibility. The criteria, um, and so I said, we need to do something. As a person, I have to, I have to do something. Um, and so it's hard. It's hard to, to you know, to just live day by day, knowing that the press, their presence is getting, becoming more and more. And now with 
having soldiers there has become even more overwhelming, even for organizers, because being in the Red Oak Border Town, there's so many issues that come, you know, family separation, what are we gonna do about the foreign militarization, more border patrols using their power the wrong way. And so, and I thank you guys for being here and just listening to, to us and our stories. You know, and, and what we've seen is is under this administration exactly is getting as described. If, if two years ago they were not only picking you up at the jail, now they're going to your door. Now they're not even just knocking on your door; they're literally opening and, and entering. Um, and it just they they know that there aren't methods to keep them accountable. And so part of what the effort is that we have to do in terms of trying to make an intervention in the tech industry is can there be public opinion accountability that will actually impact their ability to do their work. And that's why the campsite of the contracts is so important because it's not just a symbolic statement. It is actually a way for us to do some sort of, of enforcement on them given that we have um, yeah, a lack of other mechanisms to be able to do that, right? Because we know Supreme Court is not exactly in tip-top shape these days. We know it's in the White House. We understand what the threats are, who the, the, the threats that are coming. But if we want to be able to say, actually, no, we shouldn't have, you know, some of the, the, the serial killer, that, that's what it was, he was a serial killer who was working for Border Patrol, was a supervisory agent. So when companies like Salesforce decide to help facilitate the hire of new Border Patrol agents, who's going to watch them? Who's going to train them? Who's going to tell them how to do their job? It's going to literally be serial killers and people who are like murdering other community members in these border towns. And so it is important to just kind of understand that it's not, we aren't seeing business as usual. We are seeing a tremendous escalation. And the level of permissibility of violence is just continuing to increase. Um, and there's no place that we see that more clearly than in our detention centers. So even though it's not directly related in, in some ways to some of the tech stuff, we do know that at the end of the day, when these technologies are being used to identify people, they are being taken to some of the most inhumane and torturous conditions that could exist. Um, and one of the biggest detention centers on the West Coast is actually very close to so we wanted to, if you could just give us a really quick kind of like recap on detention conditions and some of the stuff that people have been willing to do to organize against them. Sure. Um, the detention center that we have the privilege of having in our state is called the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma, Washington. There's a, approximately 1,500 people there right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, GEO, the second largest uh, prison industry, is running that and they uh, have detained people inside doing a lot of the labor, painting, cleaning, cooking for $1 a day. And they need that $1 because um, they don't get enough food. A lot of people are hungry all the time there. The food is already shitty, but they get very little of it. And then they have, the only way they can supplement that is to buy food in their commissary. <laughs> where they, also there's another industry that profits off of that. And like things are very expensive. It's like going to the movie theater, <laughs> you know, you have to pay a lot for a crappy food in the commissary too. But that's how they, pe people survive. Um, we hear, I, I go to the detention center and do attorney visits a lot. And I uh, fortunately have that privilege. 
because it's easier to go and visit folks inside as an attorney because there's uh, not restrictive air, uh, hours like they do to families. Families that want to visit, it depends on what level their family member that's detained is at, and they give them certain, so they have colors for each person, level one, um, like people that are in medical um, isolation or in the medical facility are, are, are a blue or low level are blues, and then the highest, for example, is a red. So uh, if the person you're trying to see is red, has certain hours, certain times of the week, and then it changes too, because I've seen families go in there while I'm waiting saying, oh yes, I'm here to see, here are my kids, and I'm here to see my husband. And they say, well, it's not, well, who is he? And you give them the alien registration number, that's what they call it, to identify people in there. They forget that there are people inside there. And um, they say, well, that's not your time. And the, this family has just come to Tacoma to visit them, maybe driving for hours and hours, because Tacoma doesn't just house people from Washington in the Tacoma area, but regionally, because ICE and Border Patrol transfers people all over, and people from the southern border are, are brought to Tacoma, Washington um, as well. And which is funny because um, uh, in a very dark way, <laughs> of course, uh, they are trying to expand that detention center, and um, there's been great organizing by uh, grassroots groups there that have had uh, has lobbied the city council of Tacoma to stop expansion, an ordinance to stop that expansion. And so there's Plan B. They've come up to my county, which is uh, 85, oh, about 150 miles north of Tacoma in Walker County, which is right at the border, northern border. And Homeland Security had bought land right next to the proposed jail site. It's a mega jail that we have uh, um, defeated three times already uh, in, in, the vote, in, in the elections. But nevertheless, Homeland Security owns a huge swath of land next to it because we think, and from a lot of immigration experts, that that's their plan B, that they can go up there and create a new regional detention center. Um, and we don't want that up there. And um, a lot of community members agree and voted against that because, and voted against the jail. There's a really strong correlation with law enforcement and immigration all the time. When I, one of the reasons why our tiny little town is so militarized and has, has so many high-tech toys, armored vehicles that go up to respond to student riots. We have Western Washington University up there. It's because of federal agents and immigration because they have such a strong presence there and we're at the northern border. Um, they get all this funding and all, all this reciprocity, uh, sharing surveillance and neat little tools and our local sheriff likes to act like he's some FBI agent or something or some federal officer. So we see a direct correlation between militarization uh, of local law enforcement and immigration uh, enforcement. And what happens then is we have more police on our tiny little town and they're pulling over more people of color. So. It's exactly what um, Letty said. It doesn't just affect 
undocumented people or in our immigrant communities, it starts affecting everybody. It affects our students up there, these very privileged white students, because Bellingham is 90, 85% white. Um, because now they're getting um, grenades thrown at them, military-grade grenades, armored vehicles, uh, SWAT teams, whenever they have a party that gets a little too loud. That's what we're seeing, that how that you know works together. And then back to the detention center, there's medical neglect um, constantly. Um, people that need medical attention. Uh, there, right now, there's an outbreak of mumps. So far this year, there's been two outbreaks, I think, or at least one of chickenpox. And um, I visited one woman who had a miscarriage inside. And um, she had to deal with that. And somebody died just yesterday from um, <laughs> being on a hunger strike yeah. since the prison I'm was sorry. Died. I know these but people, so it's really last month. <laughs> and she's dealing with the grief. And they don't even give them clean clothes and underwear. And, and then you go through something like that and you're not even treated like a human being. It's um, really inhumane. And yes, there was somebody that, um, an asylum seeker. A, Ru a Russian. He is Mongolian, and um, he was trying to escape Russia because he has been threatened by the Russian government and also um, by skinheads, Russian skinheads there. And his family, um, he has family, children, wife there that um, uh, are also being threatened. And he wanted to, his, his one demand is not to be deported and because that's a death sentence. So being on hunger strike is the last thing he has. Um, we, and we've had multiple hunger strikes in there and he joined the last one and, but he didn't stop after everyone else stopped. So he was on hunger strike for over 80 days. And they finally found his body yesterday. Um, he couldn't speak English. We had a really hard time getting a Russian interpreter because now at the detention center, not only are the conditions horrendous and food terrible and dirty clothes and um, you know, uh, just everything is unsanitary. I mean, viruses going and con contagion everywhere. Uh, he, they're also stopping attorney visits. They weren't allowing him to have his attorney visits. They are not uh, certifying um, legal workers and interpreters. So it was. It's really hard to help someone even that needs help that's incarcerated. It's it's an added thing that I've never had to deal with as an attorney before, ha not a even having access to my clients. Um, and they, uh, the other hunger strikers, including the person that passed away yesterday, um, they were being retaliated against constantly. He was threatened constantly with force feeding, which is uh, torture by many international standards. 
but he continued because he had no choice. He would die anyways. Um, so he couldn't stop. And they were in there kept from the law, the law library. They only get about an hour a day. I mean, I have to spend hours per day on a case. You know, and I'm an attorney. These people are given one hour a day and then refuse that right even when they go on hunger strike. So these are, these are human rights activists in there. We gotta see that. They're fighting for all of us inside. They're the most vulnerable people in our country right now uh, in one of the worst conditions. They have less rights in a, than a criminal defendant in our, in our justice system. And I know I am complicit in this white supremacist structure and system as an attorney. Um, and I grapple with that too, every day. But um, yeah, that, that's basically what a detention center, what, what people go through there and what it's like inside, what happens. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you for sharing. I, I sometimes, it, it, these things are, are very hard because it's, it's, we're not trying to just tell horrible stories for the sake of telling horrible stories, right? It is actually the work that folks are doing every day. It's the first thing that you're gonna have to check in about this morning when we saw each other. Um, because this, these are the consequences, right? This, this is the, the experiences and the realities that people are, are facing and that people are dealing with every day. Um, and we live in a society that actually tries to sterilize things, that actually tries to separate things, that actually tries to give, give people excuses to disassociate precisely so that we don't do more. So I know that some of those stories are really hard to hear, they're hard to tell, um, they're harder to live through. Um, but important for us to just keep remain grounded in that this is actually the, the reality and that things are, you know, sometimes I feel like people like, want to escape from Trumpism, but yes. We are here, it is as bad as it is, but it is also an, an indication for us that there is more that we can do and more organizing that can happen to be able to change it. Um, so next I wanna pass it over to, to Jessica, um, who's been doing amazing work at the border. Um, a lot of the, 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 you know, everyone kind of remembers Jeff Sessions' zero tolerance policy, right, over the summer really was what came down and cracked down to be able to separate uh, family units that were crossing the border. But the underlining thing, zero tolerance means no one gets away. Really what had been happening at the border for years now is that it's already been happening. People have been criminally prosecuted for simply crossing the border. And one of the places that has kind of been spearheading that resistance has been in Tucson. So I wanted to just, again, just kind of give us a little bit of background of what it is to organize there and what's been going on this year. Um, thank you for that. Um, again, my name is Jessica for those who just walked in. I'm from Tucson, Arizona. And um, Operation Streamline, if you have never heard the term before, has seen what it is, is technically just to put um, of about 70 people inside, of, inside a courtroom and they all get sentenced at the same time, waiting an hour. And then they get taken into a detention center right after. And this is just people that, um, that in their eyes are committing a crime, um, is just crossing the border. Um, um, for us, it has always been about following the money and how all this was created. So we started, they started cooking this idea by first how we criminalize folks, were, well, let's criminalize just crossing this line. 
Then after that, all right, let's profit out of that, let's start prosecuting them. Then they were not meeting the quota, well, let's, let's create a system uh, where we can prosecute them and detain them. So that was a fresh picture of mine. And then from them, they keep them in, in detention centers. Um, one time is probably two months, second time is six months, and then after that is years and years and years. And that's if they have somebody that can advocate for them. If they don't, they just stay there. If they don't speak the language, they just keep them. Um, just to keep profiting out of them. And we heard from her, from Sinja, what that looks like. Um, and I'll also take the opportunity to speak a little about the other organizing that's been happening in Tucson. Um, for years and years, um, the Department of Homeland Security has feeded the states and the border, the northern and the southern border, um, give them money to collaborate directly with law enforcement agencies. Um, for example, the Tucson sector receives over $1 million um, at the Sheriff's Department to collaborate directly with ICE and Border Patrol. Um, for the first time uh, in the southern border, um, after over a decade, um, Pima County, which where Tucson is located at, rejected this money, sending a clear message that no law enforcement should be collaborating and we're not going to contribute to this um, detention deportation machine that we're seeing. Um, and it took, it was months, it was from February to September. Um, it was constantly going to the board meetings, filling up the room with people who had experience, uh, family separation, people who had experience, uh, racial profiling, people who have heard the stories, people who work with people who are inside the detention centers. And we were one after the other, one after the other, until we proved the board that it was the right thing to do to reject this money. And it was only $1 million, one grant. Homeland Security has hundreds and hundreds of grants that are giving now to communities to do some sort of enforcement and collaboration between law enforcement and immigration enforcement. But then we took that opportunity and we brought to light that we also have eyes in the jail. So the practices that we have heard in the past um, on our prior in, in Maricopa County were also happening in Pima County and are happening across the country. Uh, it's not only one place. Um, we brought it up to light and we got, we haven't confirmed it, but apparently ICE is out of the jail now, as well as last month. So, and it was opportunities that we were taking in and we just tried our hardest. Uh, we were told that we were not gonna pass it, we were not gonna convince the board, it's something that they have done for over 10 years. And we got it. We were able to uh, end the collaboration between Border Patrol and sheriffs under these monies because there's more money that allows them to collaborate and those are the things that we that we are targeting now um who's giving it what is it given for how is it used um because all of these are weapons that are going to be used uh, by the department of justice the white house and we know the congress and the senate as well like they're just trying to figure out how to make money out of our people how they can criminalize us and target us and they will come for one of us, they will come for the person who's next to us, and they will continue, and it will go on and on and on. Um, going back to Operation Streamline, um, San Diego had actually rejected this idea of Operation Streamline years ago, uh, but um, Jeff Sessions at the, t uh, the past, uh, person that had in the Department of Justice, uh, pushed San Diego to have it as well. So there was a large mobilization of some people uh, on the border um, to go to San Diego to try uh, to point it out how bad it is for communities. Um, 
and it's something that it, it just happens in like you go to downtown in Tucson like and it's happening right there. Not only you have oppression streamlined, but then also you get patrolled by the police, you get patrolled by the by the sheriffs, and then to top it up we have border patrol. And all of this has been facilitated as well because we need to be able to keep track of data and connect the dots between one agency to the other. For example, if somebody was detained and I'm not kidding you, like somebody was taken into custody 30 years ago. They're finding all of this information right now and using it against people. People who probably are not citizens and still using it against them. Taking them into custody, criminalizing them, taking away their rights, and then detaining them and deporting them to probably countries that they have never been in their lives. And all of this is, is technology. It's technology that we have access to and is being misused uh, for the wrong things. Um, and the reason why I wanted to point out the opportunity with Stone Garden, it was just a mistake that a board member made in Tucson. He didn't know what he was voting for, and he said, oh yeah, let's reject, not understanding what that meant. And then like two weeks later, he wanted to change his mind, and it became public eye. And we're like, oh no, 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 you're not taking your word back. So we fought it month after month after month until we made it public knowledge that is wrong. We took advantage and we used the same tactics that they use against us of fear. We used it against them. We're like, all right, we're, we're gonna use this. So we say like border patrol and the collection of the sheriffs, it looks like the same thing as we're seeing with zero tolerance. It's the same thing we're seeing families in separate, children without their parents. All those things, we took them to our advantage. Even if we see things sometimes are too big, we cannot do anything about them. Yes, we can. And it's about consistent and insisting and doing it and redoing it until sometimes they just get tired and they just let you go. And after right here, I have the master queen on that. <laughs> but sometimes it's just like your persistence. Like you have to just keep trying and trying until you get it and finding like those opportunities, finding those mistakes and change can happen. And it does happen. And we sometimes we just have to put our eyes and, and, and things that we can, we, we not only can win, but also that will have an impact. Giving us hope. Um, but for real, if Arizona can say, fuck you to Stone Garden, like money, like that's kind of as hopeful as we can possibly get in this world. Because it, it has been for a long time, and we're actually kind of point and be like, oh, you have those too, oh, you have those too, wait, how did you get, so part of this is also being able to share some of those strategies and those conversations because we do know that it's, it's precisely, it always starts with an attack that we're able to turn into uh, a different type of victory. Um, so we want to kind of close it out, kind of round out by, we, we've heard a lot of, of what are the experiences of folks um, in different parts of the country with these types of law enforcement agencies. But we know that whether it's the incarceration industry and GEO and CCA, or whether it's you know someone creating new iris scanners to help refer people to prosecution, or whether it's you know the data programs that's connecting it all together, behind it is someone behind a computer typing and creating the code. So it would be interesting to hear one what the organizing efforts have, have been looking like, what the kind of current take is on, on this moment, and given this this context of what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think I, I'd like to share a story of um, uh, a fight 
that employees at Google have waged against the, the powers that be in order to get them to cancel their contract with the Department of Defense and the, the Pentagon. Um, there has really not, not been any uh, any effort at an event like this that I'm, I'm aware of. But earlier this year, um, it was, earlier it was, or earlier this year, it was made apparent to employees that uh, Google Cloud was contracting with the Department of Defense and Pentagon to give AI technology, to give uh, Google's data to those departments to help build uh, more effective, more accurate drone surveillance. Uh, technologies and, and drone like weapon airstrike technologies. So to not only be able to identify objects and people from very high up in the air, but to just to have constant surveillance over uh, over many territories, you know, as, as many as the government could dream up. So uh, it became known to the rest of the company that we were working on that because it, a few of the engineers had the idea that you know maybe the few of us who are working on the crucial piece that would uh, connect Google servers to the government's servers, what if we didn't do it? What if we, just nine engineers, decided that we're not going to build the air gap measure? You know, what if we don't? What if we believe that brown lives matter? What if we believe that we have a choice here to make, and that we don't need to fall in the footsteps of, of IBM in the past who helped with, uh, you know, to fuel the Holocaust, for example. Um, just these nine engineers decided to take a stand and to tell others in the company what was going on, because these deals and stuff, if you took a survey of Google employees, tech workers, uh, they'd be like, ooh, <laughs> um, we're, we're not too into that. We didn't come to this company to, if we wanted to build that, we would have joined Palantir. We would have joined uh, Lockheed Martin or something. We came to Google because we were uh, idealists and we wanted to change the world and do something positive. Uh, but these few employees decided, wow, you know, we do have ownership over this and we're going to spread the word and you know, see how, how far we can go with that. So uh, a couple employees launched a petition internally gathering signatures to not only uh, cancel Project Maven, but also to put uh, regular employees' voices, have them represented at the decision-making table for this project and for future projects. I think that's the key piece there because um, since Project Maven, we've uncovered that there's multiple projects like this. Google's been working on a censored search engine for China. Google's been working on you know, so many things that we as employees didn't even know about because there's no transparency into what projects we're doing. There's no accountability. There's no rank and file employees with decision-making power to have a check on you know, what's going on up there. So what really was impactful was thousands of employees, thousands of employees came together, signed this petition. Um, a few of us in different offices around the world uh, talked about maybe if we print out the petition and sign it with our real signatures and hand deliver it to Sundar and Mountain View, you know, that'll send a message 
And then articles started to come out uh, you know, talking about the contract and Google's executives didn't know what to do about it. You better believe that they were on their heels, caught flat-footed, had no idea um, how to respond to not just the press, but their own workers, their own employees were standing up for really the first time to say, tech won't build it. And you know that really inspired just the, the rest of the company to jump in and to, uh, to really recognize that their strength is you know, not, not necessarily in uh, you know, trying to ask for permission for executives or trying to ask for, uh, you know, for someone like a chief ethics officer to decide from on high. Like, we realize that's not really the solution here. The solution is our collective power in numbers and using our collective voice to say the same thing at the same time and to put pressure because power does not give up anything willingly without a demand. We have to keep pressuring them. We have to keep pushing. And that was what we, we look back fond, fondly on as the Maven campaign, because we were trying to build more power, build more power, struggling, running into walls, executives calling us into meetings, saying, just trust us. We'll handle it. Trust us. We're going to come up with uh, a set of AI ethical principles. Um, those who are following the Salesforce story are probably familiar with that kind of strategy. Just trust us, we'll come back to you with something different. But why would those people come to us with something different when billions of dollars are on the line? Billions of, they could have in their hands billions of dollars from government and taxpayer money and have a relationship that leads to you know, more and more money. Why would they give that up unless those who are actually producing the capital, the power, the profit, unless those who are producing it turn off the faucet. So that was really um, the kicker that uh, in the end, a few months later, after we've been waging this fight and struggling, and uh, our petition was public as employees, academics, uh, including like Noam Chomsky signed a letter in support of the employees saying Google should not be in the business of war. Tech workers from other companies started signing a petition across the tech industry saying, yeah, Google should not be in the business of war. None of us want to work on this stuff. They're all waking up to the option of, wow, we don't have to do it if we don't want to and our strength is in our numbers. And uh, we were struggling because we were hitting walls, we were growing. We had even support from uh, college students, Stanford students, saying we're not gonna interview at Google uh, if they continue working on projects like this. But it was still so hard. And just when we like, didn't know what to do anymore, we heard in the news that Google decided to cancel or not renew the contract for a project we millions of dollars on the table. And most recently, they even, they even, pulled out of the bid for Project Jedi, which would be the $10 billion version of that, that drone AI project. So this we consider a wild success for proving that when workers do exercise their collective voice and their collective power, we can make a change that has ripple effects throughout the industry and throughout the whole world. Um, you're seeing 
employees at Salesforce also launched petitions and also still continue that fight, working with community organizations to put pressure on uh, their own executives. You see Amazon employees sending a letter, delivering it straight to Jeff Bezos, saying we don't want to work on facial recognition technology if it gets sold to the police. Come on. That's not why we came here. You have Microsoft employees launching a petition. You have interns speaking to the CEO of Microsoft, calling him out for signing the contract. People are waking up and standing up because they see each other doing it, because they're inspired by the community members doing it, and they're all going together. This is the beginning of something just earth-shattering, and we're at such uh, a perfect time right now, strategically placed, where it's going to take all of us, but if we all work together, we can solve these problems and we can steer the world towards a better vision for, for technology. That's the pitch, y'all. Yeah. Yeah. Join us. Join us. Yeah. Whether it's, it's, it's at any of the borders, whether it's inside of a tech company, whether it's on your campus, this is the moment for real. Um, we'll do a couple of questions just before we close out. So I don't know if folks either have questions or comments or things that they just wanted to contribute to the to the conversation. Um, yeah, we can definitely take a couple of those. Thank you guys all for sharing. Um, I have a question for Leti. Este Leti, en tu experiencia eh, organizando comunidades latinas. Eh, a personas que están a riesgo de situación en Norlanda. Este, este, supiste que eh, conocías si las personas que la comunidad que estaban este, potencialmente a riesgo tenía el conocimiento de, de sus derechos para combatir lo que es hice y todo eso. De hecho, um, yo lo estaba escuchando, entonces yo no Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Sorry, so, I wasn't listening to it, so I can't do it. So I guess the question was, um, in the communities that she was working that were at risk of deportation, um, were those communities informed of what their rights were um, in when it comes to interacting with ICE and other immigration uh, agencies? De hecho, fue uno de los trabajos que hicimos más duros de poder orientar a la gente, de poder educar a la gente que sí tenía derechos. La gente estaba totalmente ignorante. Yeah, so one of the hardest things that we had to do or some of the, the you know, like most finished work that we had to do was precisely to orient people on what their rights are because many times people feel like they don't have rights and so it really is about telling them you do and we can defend them. Sí, porque lastimosamente a veces nosotros mismos nos metemos en ese agujero y decimos, no, mejor no hagas bulla, quédate escondido, uh, no hagas nada. Because unfortunately many times we ourselves put ourselves in that little hole or in that corner of don't make any noise, don't say anything, don't lift up your head. Entonces, eh, seguimos trabajando aún porque todavía no hemos llegado al 100% de poder educar a toda la gente de que tiene, tiene derechos. Tenga o no tenga documentos en esta nación, uno tiene derechos constitucionales y todo. Y seguimos trabajando en eso, no paramos, porque nuestro sueño es que cada persona que esté en este país y que entre este país y que vive en este país sepa qué derechos tiene para poder defender esos derechos. Sí. 
And so it's, it's continuous work that we, we do to be able to educate people on their rights, to know that they have protections, to know that they're constitutional. Um, but it's still a lot more work that we have to do to continue to educate more people um, and to be able to get out the, the, the word. Because we need people to not only know, know their rights, but also know their rights so that we can defend those rights, because if not, that won't happen. Sí, eh, inspirar a la gente a organizarse porque en la unión está la fuerza el conocer, educarte y educar a otro esa es nuestra tarea and so because how can you defend a right that you don't know so the first step is to, to know your right but then really it is to motivate people to organize because that is the, the, the strength that we have is actually in, in collective force and be able to have that unity and so we have to also be pushing people constantly to be able to, to organize Hi, I have a question uh, for the representative from the tech industry side. Oh, Stephanie? Yeah. Hi, Stephanie. Um, so I was wondering, like, have, if you could expand on maybe like, some possibilities or tools that the tech industry has explored in sort of bridging this, like, I don't know, education piece or like making it so that people do like know about their rights more because I was even thinking like it's through a tech industry that found out about this job this um opportunity or like conversation I feel like there is potential for like tech industry to educate on community conversations or you know your rights panels or you know just like popular education in general so I was just wondering what that conversation looks like um, I, I would encourage anyone who's interested in that stuff to join the Tech Workers Coalition, get on our mailing list, we're on Facebook, email, all that, um, because we do exactly that. We function, or what, what we're building, and our goal is to function as a workers center, which provides education and resources to not just tech workers, but, but all kinds of workers, so they can know their rights, if they plan to organize, or if they're joining a certain company. Um, we think that learning, learning together uh, most of our events are educational, where we share readings beforehand, and we all come together in small groups and, and discuss and teach each other, learn with one another uh, about you know, community issues. One of my favorite learning clubs that we did very recently was we read the book, No Wall They Can Build. Um, I don't know if folks are familiar with that one, but it blew my mind. It was all about the border and the true nature of Border Patrol and their purpose. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but it might be a surprise to folks. Uh, but yeah, just the fact that our Tech Workers Coalition's biggest focus is on elevating everyone's level of knowledge about these community issues and about our, our place in the system, our role in it. And that's what we're, we're trying to do. And I, I leave out uh, that, that tech companies are doing anything like this, because they're really not end of the day. They're, they're not trying to radically educate people to change the system. Um, we workers have to do it ourselves. And kind of like with regards to like the sort of users or like, I don't know, is there any piece on like, educate, like, does that piece not exist yet or is it like, a, I don't know. So for, like, um, has your organization explored that education piece as it applies to like the people who use it, the like, communities who like might be able to get information on their rights for using Facebook. Because I know a lot of immigrant communities use like Facebook to communicate with, you know, families like in other countries and such. 
I mean, I think, just to answer a little bit of, of, of some of your question, I think we are, we are very well aware of that this, the first step to do any of this is we have to be able to educate and be able to connect with each other, right? And so like, where do we get our information? And I think part of the reason we were making faces is just because as you were explaining the tech worker coalition, I was like, that sounds like the day labor hiring hall that Jessica runs in Tucson. Because really, at the end of the day, whether it's organizing tech workers or organizing day laborers on a corner, it's the same principle, right? So you build strong relationships, you inform people on your rights, and then you create experiences so we understand what our collective power can look like in practice, right? And so whether it's day laborers being like, no, motherfucker, you have to pay me after the end of the day, and I do deserve $15 an hour, or whether you're a tech worker and you're like, no, I want to build a project that I believe in, right? They're, they're actually the same principles, right? It is about collective power building, and it is actually about democracy, right? It is a we were having a very interesting conversation about democracy earlier today. But, <laughs> but, um, but really at the end of it, that's what it is. It's about us all being able to participate in that. Um, and I think that, that what we have to do is actually make able, make, create more spaces where people can do that. Because we also can't be naive in terms of who we are up against, right? And so I think sometimes people are like, well, if Amazon, there's some interesting survey about like Amazon is actually trusted more than most like government bodies. Like there's more trust in Amazon than there is in Congress <laughs> for obvious reasons, right? Like at least someone actually brings your thing on time or whatever it is. You know, like what what has Congress done for us lately? But it actually makes us realize like we're 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 at a very difficult moment, right? Because in a lot of ways the mainstream has been able to yes, Facebook is great for us to be able to educate, but that's also where fake news is being spread, and that's also where whatever you share is going to be mapped out by Palantir, and that's why they're going to know to come to your cousin's house after they're done with you, right? So all of these scary things are connected, and both we have to see the good in it and use it, but also see the bad. Yeah. But to me, again, the, the fundamental thing is, are we able to collectively build power and actually take risks? Because y'all heard what the risks are if you're in a detention center. Y'all heard what Lefty's risks are just traveling here to speak to you. What are the risks that tech workers are willing to take? Right? And I think that is the, the, the deep question underneath is where are folks willing to go? And folks are willing to back them up. But if we think we're going to get there by like a Cyber Monday boycott, like it's not going to happen. Right? If that is a tactic that we should use. But we're actually going to do it when people decide to take on risks. Um, and you know, we saw in the in the immigrant rights movement, people stepping out and saying, "I don't have papers, but I'm still willing to do that because if not, nothing will change." What's going to be the the, the equivalent within the tech world, right? And I think Project Mayor was a really inspirational example of it. And we're trying to figure out like where's the domino effect, right? Like where do we keep pushing to be able to continue to replicate that? And so yes, it's about education. But it is actually also about organizing. And it is actually about building the relationships. Because I think part of the reason that people are willing to take certain risks is because you know that the person next to you has your back. Even if you're going to lose, at least there's someone that's like, I got that with you. And again, full transparency, that's what we're about. We want to create some sort of a formation of strength with, between tech workers, between students who are being recruited into those companies, and the frontline communities that are facing those attacks to be able to build a movement together. Thank you.
Um, yeah, thank you all so much for speaking tonight and for coming here, um, you know, knowing the risks that you're taking. Um, I really appreciate your stories and, and you sharing that with us. Incredibly powerful. And I'm really glad it's being live streamed because I'm going to share the shit out of this. <laughs> and we all should too. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, um, it's really great to hear about the connections across the country, you know, with everyone being here. I'm also wondering what support there is as the caravan is here and arriving, um, and what the organizing um, looks like for that, you know, up in Washington, and people, you know, mobilizing for that at the border, uh, what that support looks like. Um, so, um, so for those who don't haven't heard yet, like there's a, a migrant caravan started from Central America and it's coming up to our border. Um, first of all, it's understanding why they're leaving the country that they call home and why they're coming north um, and acknowledging that. Um, second, it's not spreading, for me, it will be not spreading out the xenophobia, transphobia, homophobia messages that are being spread out. Um, uplifting the work that people are doing because there is people other doing the work here in Mexico. And right now, um, I know some of the folks who are asking for mobilization to the border, like to supply any needs, um, either hygiene, clothes, food, but then also they need, and this is like the privilege that a person can have just by using their physical body. If you are a US citizen and you are standing next to an undocumented person, that undocumented person who's standing next to them is protected because they're not gonna do anything to them. So I think there's a big call out for folks to cross um, to start witnessing what's happening on the border. Is there a right to seek asylum? Is human right for them to seek asylum in the United States? and the United States has to grant them. That the, um, the, I mean, we're not gonna talk about the powers of the United States and the, and the world, right? But it is their right to come here and seek asylum. Um, I don't know if you would like to add something else. No, just, I think that the, the people are in coming to Tijuana and in San Diego, so folks are going over to offer all of that humanitarian aid for folks that are like, yeah, but I can't go to the border right now. Um, one of the things that is actually incredibly critical is getting uh, sponsors. So when people go through the, the asylum process, if they get, if they're fortunate enough to get to the point where they get to a bond hearing before an immigration judge, which is after several months of detention, after many legal hurdles, if you have someone in the U.S. who is willing to offer their home to you, right, to say, this person can come and stay with me. I will feed them until they go through the asylum process. Having that letter before a judge dramatically alters your chances of one, being released, and two, being able to win your asylum case. And so there's an organization actually based here in California, Freedom for Immigrants, um, that has a, uh, a sponsorship site where you literally will just go up, sign up, and then if there's a case that kind of makes sense, you can, you can get, um, yeah, you'll get a call, can continue to talk about it. It's not a big legal responsibility. Obviously, lawyers will have very many different ways of saying it, but since I'm a non-lawyer, I will take that freedom and say, it's actually, it's not, a, it's not that people are, they get stressed because there's a judge involved, but it actually is something that is not a very high ask that will actually be very dramatic for, for people's lives. And if you know anyone who lives in San Diego, you heard about the horrors of streamline. We found a great way to pe get people out 
similarly, but in the criminal system through third-party custodians. So if you know folks who are willing to be a custodian in that way and help basically bond people out with somebody else's money, great, get you someone else's money. Um, we also have that connection, so definitely you can reach out to us uh, around that. And I would just say things are probably going to continue to heat up and escalate. So I think there's going to be a lot of demands on our new Congress about how they're going to act in terms of the border. And so it remains to be seen what, what that ask is going to be. But kind of stay tuned in the next couple of months because I do think something is going to be happening around January or February to kind of push for, for, for some sort of other intentions. Okay. Thanks so much for listening. That was, I played the entire clip in full because we had the time to, and I really want to encourage folks to also share that with other people, um, either by sharing this podcast, or if you go to the event page, the video is shared on that page in in full. So if you go to uh, Facebook, it is, the name of the event was Who's Behind ICE, the Tech Companies Fueling Deportations, which was hosted by Tech Workers Coalition and Mijente. Mijente is a really awesome organization to support. Uh, please please do so. And this event was on November 16th. So if you go to Facebook, you can find that event. Also, if you follow us on Evil Facebook, uh, we've linked to the event as well. So you can also share the video that way for folks who may work in tech and or know folks who work in tech, especially just to get the word out to folks who are doing that to organize uh, against collaborating with, with ICE and law enforcement in these regards, most definitely. So we'll be ending up the show. Thanks so much for listening in. Big thank you to the folks who donate to the show and to the radio station. We are all collectively run here. So uh, donations keep the doors open, keep us doing this. Um, I'm able to pay uh, monthly dues uh, by the folks who donate. If you are able to, please do consider donating a buck a month or more is helpful at... I almost forgot patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. I know there's also just plenty of other great places to, to donate as well. Um, and I know capital is difficult to come by. So uh, if you have the means, please do support. Uh, Mijente is a really great organization. Uh, it's spelled uh, M I J E N T E. Uh, please do support them as well as a lot of other folks. If you're able to support the radio station too, that's great. Mutinyradio.fm. Uh, there's, it's, there's, Lots of great folks out there doing a lot of good work. So I also want to put the word out about that. Thanks so much for listening in. Uh, it's been a lot. Uh, definitely been a lot. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, today was a little bit less organized than I was planning on. But I do appreciate folks listening in. There's no Women's Magazine and Common Thread Collective this week. However, folks will be back next week. So please do stay tuned next week. And you can check out previous shows. There's the archive, which goes back at least a few years from Mutiny Radio at mutinyradio.fm. You can listen to previous shows uh, if you want to hear how things were also pretty <laughs> difficult before 2016, too. Uh, that's 